listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Jeff, when we record podcasts, do you record in shoes? <laughs> or do you record barefoot? Well, <laughs> this is a simple question. I don't know why you're having such a hard time with it. I, I had to think about it. Can't you just look down? I, I, I'm looking down right now and I have no shoes on. I do often wear shoes. Is that because um, your 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 father you're not wearing them because your father was a cobbler? Was your father a cobbler by any chance? <laughs> no, he was not. Yeah, you know, he owns a lot of parts store. So anyway, that's the, so so today's episode we're coining the cobbler's children have no shoes. It's a it's a well-worn business phrase. And it's something that you've heard me kind of like kind of moan about now and then over the last probably four years, every time I see this, because I feel like I see it all the time where a firm we're dealing with, whatever it is that they do, whatever service it is they provide or whatever expertise they bring to bear, they seem to be kind of the worst at that for themselves. And so it's that old adage that, you know, the cobbler's children have no shoes because the cobbler is too busy making shoes for everyone else. Does that mean that Rattleback doesn't do good marketing for itself? (laughs) I, I, I think don't you know do that I would very, agree with, with I, that in your case. I think we do very marketing. good marketing for ourselves, but I actually think we might be a bit of an anomaly in, in the world of agencies and that most agencies actually, their business is built more on the back of business development and referrals than it is on the back of marketing, even though that what they sell to the marketplace is market as a marketing service. But I digress because there's many other examples that I can give. And I'm happy to give you a kind of a rapid fire rundown of examples of that I've seen over the years, if that would be helpful. Fire away. Fire away. Okay. So I, I will do these as quickly as I can. Like I said, I've seen this again and again, where whatever the firm we're dealing with, whatever expertise that is they bring to bear, often they just struggle to, to do, to be excellent at that for themselves. The first one that I saw this was a, an HR consulting and outsourcing firm that we worked with. It was actually one of the first consulting firms I ever worked with 20 some years ago. And their internal human resources practices were so awful. And the marketing lead would tell me stuff and I would just sort of like shake my head in disbelief that this was going on inside of an organization that was essentially an outsourced HR function for many companies spread around the region. It was so bad at one point, she, she was a, a, like a fractional marketing lead working on a 30-hour-a-week a commitment, yet they were routinely pushing her 50 hours a week for the better part of five, six, seven years without extra compensation. <laughs> so she, they were essentially exposing themselves to massive employment liability every week. Anyway, they knew better, right? They would never advise a client to let that happen, right? But they were doing it every day. Strategy firms, I've worked with multiple boutique strategy firms that had no coherent strategy. So they had no approach by which to segment the market to say, these are the types of clients we work with. These are the types we don't. Anytime I bring up the topic of you know a, a, a conversation about ideal client, they would push back to me and say, Jason, that doesn't work for us. You know, we, we, <laughs> our services can be bought by anybody, which is funny because what they're selling is strategy services, right? So, But they had no coherent strategy to speak of and they didn't trust my my advice on it because, of course, they provided strategy to highly respected global companies. They didn't want to take my advice on it because I couldn't possibly know anything about it, yet they didn't have one, even though I would tell them that repeatedly. 
inbound agencies that get most of their business through referrals. I don't have a specific one in mind, but I think that that's kind of like a part and parcel across the board. A lot of inbound agencies don't actually get that much inbound. PR firms that sell content services, but you go to their websites and they don't have any perspective of their own. There's there's very little content being published on their site with any regular frequency. You can see that all the time. One of my favorite was a was a firm we worked with probably almost eight or nine years ago. It was a firm that specialized in ESG before that sort of became the pivotal flashpoint on culture wars. And the client lead left and they weren't too happy about it and they didn't like my solution to it. So rather than talking to me about it, they FedExed me a letter severing the relationship. And yet later in the week, they were calling my writer trying to get her to work with them on the side. directly. Um, so, you know, I, I think the G is governance and that feels like a governance issue to me to some extent. I mean, it's kind of a vague one, which just feels a little bit not so ethical, you know, and technically I, I'm pretty sure that our PSAs actually, actually, I know our PSAs say that you can't do that, so, but that's okay. But my favorite one, I'll just throw this out. This is actually a quote. So Blair Enns, who's been a guest on the podcast who as a consultant to the advertising industry, used to sell advertising services. And he always said one of the biggest pushbacks he would get from clients was, you know, why am I buying advertising services from you? You don't even advertise, which is sort of typical for almost every ad agency everywhere, right? Because again, their business is business to business. It's largely referrals, close relationship building. And his retort that he would use to counter that was, he would say, this is his quote. He would say, well, you wouldn't buy your heroin from an addict, would you? <laughs> that was the way that he would he would frame it. So anyway, that's just a short list. I don't know. I came up with that over about 10 minutes. I, th- I bet if I thought harder, I could probably come up with more. But I just feel like I see this all the time. Now, oddly enough, I haven't seen it in IT services firms, or maybe I'm not paying attention, but it's, it's I, I, I can't think of an instance where a tech firm we're working with where it's like their internal tech house is a mess. I've not seen that, or maybe I'm not, I'm not seeing the internal tech house, which is probably pretty true, but I don't know. So let me pause there for a second and let you react. Do you see the same thing? Is this, is, does this sound unusual to you or is this just a weird anomaly of, of Jason's reality and his version of the multiverse in which he lives? Well, I definitely think you live in a weird place, <laughs> but, but not, not in this situation. You see this a lot. And you know what's interesting about it? It kind of reminds me of the internal take on a given firm's BS of, of PS, right? They all have a name for the nature of their culture, you know, that you know, we eat our young, for oh God, example. I hate, I hate those phrases. We eat our own dog food. It's, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. We eat our and young. Those are horrible. These are horrible analogies. Why do people say this stuff? <laughs> yeah. So you generally run into a group of people within a, a client organization that throws out that term, where are the cobbler's children, right? So they recognize something in themselves that they don't do effectively, that they should be doing because it's their supposed core competency. I see that a lot. The HR consulting firm I mentioned, by the way, that marketing lead, she didn't have a performance review for like four and a half years at one point. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. I forgot. She was talking to me one day. She's like, Jason, I haven't had a performance review in forever. So anyway, so oh keep going. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt gosh. you. <laughs> These are real stories. I'm not making this stuff up. This is all real. So anyway, yeah. keep going. Sorry. 
So back, back to eating our dog food. Oh God, that's a horrible analogy. Uh, so yeah, I, I see it a lot, but I definitely think there's somewhat of a hierarchy associated with it in the disciplines that occur. And it probably is mixed with my expectations as well of where they should perform. For example, you're talking about strategy firms. Yeah. Right. It seems self-evident that a well-structured strategy would have some form of customer segmentation that is built into it and executed against. But so many strategy firms that I've worked with, you know, don't have that. Yeah. And they may not even work with people like me because they they say, well, we've got that covered, right? Yeah, or whatever. They're, they're dismissive of it, right? They're dismissive yes. of yes. any external advice for it. Right. And then they may they may think they have it covered, but they really don't. To your point, right? What could you teach us? You know, our people went to Harvard or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that's usually what it comes down to, right? It's like, you know, what what why are we hiring this guy from Ohio to give us advice on this? But that's not always the case. I mean, wh why does this happen? I came up with three reasons. Why does this happen? What do you think? You're more of a, an aficionado of culture than I am and the inner workings of firms. I have some opinions, but what do you think's going on? I suspect there's a couple of things going on. Probably top on the list, and I have no data to back this up. This is all Jeff McKay's Gut yeah. Feel. By the way, this whole podcast is, is data free. <laughs> it's, free it's, for all. You know, me making me taking stories that I've seen over twenty years and cobbling them together to build an opinion. So it could be all complete garbage. Well, this is definitely a throwback to the Jeff and Jason phone calls pre formal podcasts. Pre, pre, I mean, this is the type of thing we would jump in on. What is it? What's going on here? BP before podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I suspect one of the big reasons this happened is internal conflict. Hmm. You get these thought leaders with really strong opinions about how to think about and execute a particular discipline. And this frequently happens in firms that don't have a cohesive point of view because they cannot agree on a perspective. So you get these these kind of warring factions, warring in air quotes. I mean, I'm not saying these are civil wars or something like that. Competing ideologies within a firm and its, and its culture. And as a result of that, you either get a, a pendulum swinging between those perspectives or you get inertia because they can't resolve the conflict. So they just throw up their arms and say, well, we can't do it. Lowest common denominator, we can agree on that. And the lowest common denominator generally is an underperforming approach. So they just try to appease everyone and end up pleasing no one. Pleasing no one. So, yeah. so essentially, it's, it's, they're, they're self-aware. They, they know that they're, that they're bad in this area, yet they're unable, not able, not unable, that's the wrong word, they're sort of unwilling to solve it because the, the challenge of solving it is greater than the damage of doing nothing in their minds. I don't know if I got that right, but that's what you, what yeah. you think. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, that was that's a great. I mean, I had other thoughts. I mean, one of them was well, one of my thoughts was that they could they couldn't see it. That old saying, they can't see the bottle from inside the label. They they just can't see that it's happening inside their own organization because they're just too close to it. And so it's not a knock on them as much as it is just human nature. You can't see your own fallacies, right? So that would be the opposite of what you said. It'd be like, well, it's just not self-evident to them that they have these deficiencies and they need someone to to point it out to them. But to your point, frequently when I have pointed it out, they kind of dismiss me anyway. Or, or actually, to what you said, I actually did get that feedback one time was essentially like, yeah, you're right. But dealing with that right now is really difficult and it's not worth the trouble. It was, it was essentially the answer. I mean, the, the, the summation of the answer that, you know, what we need to do right now is build a website because we can't get the strategy solved, but we really need a website because our, our old one is really hurting us. It's like, okay. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. The other, other hypothesis I have was solution fatigue. Maybe it's like you deal with this all day, every day. And so when it comes to doing it for yourself, you just, it's like, you just don't want to do it. You know, oh, that, you know? I think that's a excellent one. I see that in, in myself. If I join a board or volunteer, you know, in some form or fashion, everyone you know, wants to push me into, you know, the marketing, the marketing yes. strategy and, yes. and all you that. You join our marketing like, board? I do uh, that all day long. I don't want to do that yeah. on the board. I mean, I understand why they do that and I bring that value, but there's a lot more value that I can bring. So that fatigue, uh, you're just like, yeah, I could do that, but. <laughs> but I just don't feel like yeah, that. Yeah, I don't feel like it. Yeah. So that was one that I, I thought was big. And the only other thought I had was was maybe it's just, it's cultural in the sense of like, you see this sometimes, I call it utilization myopia, but that's that's way too harsh of a phrase. It's just this notion that you see in a lot of firms where, where servicing the client is the only thing that matters and everything else is sort of ignored, you know? And so it doesn't matter what, what else it is. Anything else that's in the way of that need to bill time and service the customer is is noise. And so as a result, sort of anything that's related to, you know, building the firm itself is a blocker towards that end. And everything we're talking about is sort of is internally focused, right? And not internally focused, but it's focusing on the firm, not on the client for the most part. So, so what, what do we do about it? I, I don't know. Well, before we do that, are there other reasons this might be happening that we're not thinking of? I mean, I'm sure there are, but anything else that, the, the time behind. one is is really important because generally the way people would approach this is, well, let's put together a committee, a special project, and yeah. take this on. And that does take time away from serving clients and being a leader and doing you know the things that you 
need to be doing in your day job. I, I, I think that's very realistic. There is a story I would love to tell on air, but I cannot tell out of <laughs> confidentiality because it's, it's so interesting. And it's one I'll, you'll I'll have to tell you offline about utilization and how it's sort of warping what's in the best interest of a firm. It's just fascinating. Yeah. Utilization is definitely a double-edged sword. There's no doubt about, yeah. about that. Well, I have a couple others I'll, I'll throw into the mix. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Depending on the size of the firm, but the bigger, I think maybe the more difficult this is, but sometimes maybe if you get bigger, you get more formalized functions that, that take on some of these areas. But given the structure of the firm and their decentralized nature, you you get these areas of the business, whether it's a, a practice or a geography that has autonomy to make decisions on their on their own and they start making them and and this kind of feeds back into the conflict but it's just decentralization and decision prioritization yeah right it's just decisions hey. happening at the edge of the organization that maybe are in conflict with decisions that might have been made elsewhere in the organization or in the central function and then all of a sudden it's kind of a Let's say dystopian mess. I don't think it's dystopian though. Disorganized mess. <laughs> you get the BS of PS. You get the BS of PS. The other one, and you've alluded to this, but I'll 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 throw it out. It's this arrogance about who the firm is and what it should be doing or it shouldn't be doing. And, and maybe I should call this a Dunning Kruger effect. You know, maybe they overestimate their abilities to do things and think they're doing something exceptionally well, but they're not. Whereas I think the more humble and God, I, I, more humble and, and yeah. focused firms, those that are well run, understand where they are weak or they have chosen not to spend the, the time. I just, I just interviewed a new client for one of my clients, head of technology, and wanted to understand the buyer's journey and how the decision was made. And it was very clear why this firm was going out to hire my client, which is an MSP. They had the technical chops, but they chose not to invest the resources that way. They yeah. wanted to outsource it and let somebody just take it. Not that they weren't competent, but they said, we're making a strategic decision to outsource this so that we could focus on higher priority items. And they had the confidence, and maybe this is another one, they had the confidence to kind of open up the kimono and let some other expert, objective expert from within the industry come in and, and help them. I mean, accounting firms have to have independent auditors, so they have other firms coming in and, and helping them with their accounting. So I, I, I think firms that are confident can do that type of stuff. Yeah. So you're leaning into solutions. So let's go there because I think what you're what you're hinting at is like one of the solutions is, of course, seeking outside advice. It's 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 getting someone outside the organization to focus on it 
on your behalf, whether it's a consultant advisor. And that perfect example you gave, it's it's an MSP that's going to own the technology infrastructure for an organization that could do it themselves. You know, I don't know anything about the client organization, but but you, you've stated that they were capable of doing it themselves, but they, they knew it was in the best interest for them not to do it themselves, you know, so get themselves out of the way. And I think you could, some of the examples I gave, you could draw the same conclusion, right? Like my HR consulting firm that, that I opened the, the story with, you know, they could have turned around and brought in an external HR advisor or an external HR organization to run their HR for them. And in some ways, the fear of that would be, well, we do this for a living. And if we're outsourcing it, does that say that our solution is, is inferior? But I think you could actually spin it the opposite direction and say, well, no, our solution is superior. But the problem is that we we recognize the, the, the inherent problems with doing it for ourselves. And hence, we're outsourcing it the same way we're telling our clients to for the exact same reasons. It's funny because you know you, you made the joke about Rattleback Marketing. that We had a biz dev lead, as you, you knew him for, for years, by a guy by the name of Tim O'Crongley. He always sold it as a competitive advantage because every time an inbound inquiry would come in, he would say, oh, we pulled you into our web. That was his, his quote he would use. And he would just say, he's like, we want to build for you what we've built for ourselves. Everything that happened that got you here to have this conversation with me, that's what we do for a living. And, and clients then that was actually somewhat unique to them because most agencies just haven't been successful at building that model for themselves. They've done it for clients, but maybe not for yeah. themselves. Yeah. So, um, well, you're not going to like this, but one of the key characteristics of a prudent leader and thereby a prudent firm in making decisions and making the right choice is seeking counsel, right? That's one of the first actions of prudent decision-making is seeking counsel. So going outside, even if you're good at it, getting that additional opinion is only going to make your decisions stronger. I 100% agree with that. It's funny because I had a couple former employees that criticized me for that. They said, you know, Jason, you're always going to outside advisors. You're always going to consultants. You know, you don't trust us. I'm like, no, you're missing the point. I'm going to them because I want external perspective. I, I want another way of looking at this. You know, it, it's my bottle thing. We're inside this thing all day, every day. We need someone else who's not inside of it to look at it and say, well, turn the bottle the other direction because you're looking at it from the wrong way. And, and oh, by the way, here's a better way to look at it. I agree with that. So that, that was what I had on my solution. It was like, you know, you have to get outside perspective, whether you have a board, whether you have an advisor or a consultant. I, th- I do think also part of you have to talk about this. I think on some level, if you're a, a managing partner and a leader, I think it's worth having a conversation with your people about this very topic. Say, hey, are, are we the cobbler, you know, children? What we do for our clients, are we doing that for ourselves? And if not, what do we need? What do we need to do differently? You know, you know it makes me wonder as you say that. If a firm examined itself and looked at its functional areas, including the one that it has an area of expertise, and rated the performance in each one of those functional areas, what the scores would be. So let's say you looked at IT, finance, and accounting, HR, and marketing, for example. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you and you objectively scored yourself across that. Are they all fives? Are they all eights? Is there, you know, three eights and one, two? And, you know, so so is the cobbler's children has no shoes really a reflection of underperformance across all the functions? <laughs> or or just the one that you or know the, the best one. about. 
Well, you, you, you raise a really great point, which is that am I just noticing this because of the, the, the odd juxtaposition of the two? And maybe they're underperforming in all kinds of dimensions that, of course, I don't even see. I don't see the, the accounting systems. I don't, I don't know what's going on in the finance teams. It's not my job. It's a valid point. So maybe, as I always joke, your, your client pool is only, is only so large. Maybe I'm just seeing a, a too narrow of a slice. We have to go to wrap, actually. I hate to do it because this has been really interesting. But I'm glad we talked about this because this this has been, to put my bottle analogy to work, it's been bottled up in me for years. And it's good to talk about it and get it out there. Because <laughs> it's like, I've been thinking about this for years. I'm like, man, I see this all the time. Like, what is going on? And so it's just good to kind of talk it through. And I like where you ended, ended up with us with this idea that, like, well, maybe I'm just noticing it because of the unique instance of, of the way I'm interfacing with the client and maybe <laughs> the issues across the board. Well, you know what's good about this? We got to the end of it and we didn't have to really talk in depth about our own firms. Yeah, that was the best. That was the highlight. We didn't have to admit any any weaknesses, <laughs> which is which is the key to being a successful professional services firm leader, right? To portray confidence and arrogance at all turns without ever acknowledging your own weaknesses or, or frailties. So that, that's good. <laughs> Clearly, I'm joking. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, so next week, I'll fly to Columbus I'm going to go through all of your marketing and help you lay out a, a smart strategy for growth. Let's score everything that we do on a scale of zero to 10 live for all listeners to hear. So you can pick apart every single piece of content, every tactic, every strategy, top to bottom, and we can do it live and people can just can, can really enjoy that. Gosh, brand breakdowns. That would be your and rattleback. <laughs> that would be your heaven. Would be to break down the rattleback brand. <laughs> oh man! Let me tear this apart from the bottom up. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, buddy. Great conversation. Thanks. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.